probably take 90% of Little League pitchers and they can't, they probably couldn't get themselves across the monkey bars. You know what I mean? Because all, they probably never had phys ed or very little phys ed growing up through their years, right? And then all their other time is basically spent playing that sport or a couple sports that doesn't really train you physically. It doesn't, so do we have these kids pitching every weekend or every couple days a week or whatever? And so they're, they're trying to throw the ball as hard as they can, but they don't even have the strength and stability in their shoulders to be able to hold their body up for an extended period of time. So you wonder why, you know, elbows are falling apart. It may have been one of the guys that was working uh, for one of the major league organizations that was spending a lot of time in Puerto Rico and the Dominican. And I said, you know, come on, tell me what's, you know, why when I was in high school, I don't recall any athlete having a surgery of any type, not even a meniscus surgery, um, you know, shoulder surgery. But I said, then in those early 2000s, I started meeting many kids who needed Tommy John surgery, shoulder surgery. And sometimes I think that maybe us in America, we might overthink everything. And there's so many different coaches not really working together and kind of looking at, you know, James Smith is global coaching sports concept. And he said, you know, in, you know, the Dominican and Puerto Rico, he goes, these kids, you know, could play year round. Uh, but then when they're tired, they don't pitch. And it's like, they just don't overthink stuff. And in America, you know, the big struggle is if I played hockey, now my son is playing hockey. Yeah, you you know. have to stop de-emphasizing P in school. That's yep. it. That's where it starts. Um, you can't make standardized testing the most important thing. There is no physical literacy developed in the classroom. You have to go outside. So the, the, the de-emphasizing of PE must, must stop. Government intervention, pitchforks, I don't know what has to happen, but that is where it starts. That was Jeremy Frisch, Zach Evanesh, and George Carvajal speaking on some truly critical issues in today's sport development culture. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The KBox and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. As you heard already through the intros, the blurbs, we have a tremendous episode, tremendous roundtable today with three coaches with well over a half century of experience training all walks of athlete from 
by six-year-olds all the way up to the most seasoned professional and everywhere in between. And the topic we're going to specifically cover is youth sports, youth athletics, injury rates, early specialization, and really just the general physical literacy crisis that's so um, proliferated, especially here in the United States. So these guys are just awesome. I I was so excited. I had wanted to do a roundtable like this for a while. I know that these guys have been on plenty of podcasts individually, and every time I bring experts together, it's just like there's this awesome nucleus of energy that that forms. And so uh, the three, they're going to get into their backgrounds once we start the show, so I'll keep this really brief. But George Carvajal is a performance coach, consultant. He's out of Florida, has worked with pretty much every level imaginable in sport, works with a lot of surfers, particularly right now. Uh, a guy well-known for his wisdom in the field. He's on a ton of podcasts. Zach Evanesh, tons of you probably listening to this are familiar with him. Uh, he's a leading figure in the strength and conditioning industry. He founded the Underground Strength Coach and created the Underground Strength Coach Certification. And He's written tons of books, done a lot of awesome work in the field, worked with all levels of athletes, but particularly is active on the high school and middle school level, uh, which makes him just a, a guy with a ton of insight as to what's going on right in that neck of the woods. And then lastly, we have Jeremy Frisch. Uh, Jeremy is the owner and director of Achieve Performance Training in Clinton, Massachusetts. Uh, you've probably, if you've been around the podcast world, you've probably heard Jeremy talking about his unique play style training. Well, <laughs> basically just a huge proponent of letting kids play and be kids instead of hammering them with all this advanced speed training that they have no business doing or needing. And just a huge uh, guy who's a huge proponent of that. He's doing some awesome stuff. He's following his Twitter feeds and uh, just seeing what he's up to. It's really inspiring. So really happy to have those three guys on board today for the show. And and uh, they are what makes this podcast what it is. Early specialization is a huge thing. That's what we certainly start off with. But we get into something that I think runs far deeper. And that's uh, just the upbringing and physical literacy and letting the kids play. And that's just the dynamics of what happens on a scholastic level in terms of physical education, letting kids play, parent schedules, uh, all the dynamics that go into how a kid, uh, how a child's sport experience unfolds as they grow up. And I can't think of any better three people to sit down and have a conversation with about all this than the three guests we have today. It was truly amazing talk. I, I just asked questions that was a fly on the wall, and it was awesome. Um, I really hope this podcast just hits a lot of people. Obviously, those of you guys in the coaching sphere, I'm sure you're going to love it and share it. But ultimately, this is a message I think that everybody can benefit from listening to. And it's something that I just hope as a community, coaching community across all spectrums, the the performance coaches, the sport coaches, uh, the administrators can see just the massive importance of all this and that it can really help to change the lives and experiences that our young athletes have. And that we can stop buying new cars, with, so to speak, with each surgery, with each knee and elbow sur- and shoulder surgery that's happening because a young kid wasn't given the chance to play and rest and be a kid and was kind of shoved into a sports system where the coaches, uh, where the sport and administrators and the performance specialists aren't talking to each other and interacting in a way that's maximally beneficial for the kids. But I'm going to stop. I'm going to let these guys do their thing and get into this episode. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to a special edition of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Uh, Super excited to have three awesome experts, masters of their craft in the field today. And the topic is youth sports specialization and development. And so we have here Zach Evanesh, Jeremy Frisch, and George Carvajal. 
three guys I'm really stoked to have on the show chat with on this important topic. So uh, if you guys could give a quick uh, nutshell, one minute intro of who you are, what you've been doing in the field, and we'll get on with the questions today. Cool. Thanks, Joel and George and Jeremy. Great honor to be with you guys. You know, I follow what all you guys are doing and it's guiding me. So uh, my name is Zach Evanesh. I'm in New Jersey and um, been, uh, I've got a couple of private training facilities in New Jersey and predominantly middle school and high school athletes. Uh, a lot of people know us for wrestling, but we train swimmers, hockey players, fencers, football players, um, tennis players, you know, all different athletes. And uh, I've also um, done outside contracting work for a couple of Division One universities for the wrestling teams and um, consulting with coaches. Uh, but, you know, my heart, my heart is really in that middle school, high school group. I, I love the college, um, but I, I really love, you know, working with that middle school, high school group and started doing that around 2002, 2001 out of my parents' house and then went into my first house out of a garage, you know, garages. And then the first location I had opened in 2007 and uh, been going strong since then. Uh, so like Joel said, I'm Jeremy Frisch. I own a uh, private facility called the Chief Performance Training. And uh, prior to that, I was a college strength conditioning coach as well. And um, my wife and I started having uh, children. And, and uh, I think it was a better deal for me to open up my own facility than to be on the, the college schedule. So, um, you know, I ended up opening up my own facility. And over the years, I've kind of started to uh, kind of really focus on the youth development because I feel like that's where I can make the biggest impact. Um, you know, get the kids early and, and exposing them to the things I always talk about, lots of movement and, and uh, you know, uh, teaching them different uh, movement skill sets, things like that, that will carry on into their sports careers later on. So that's really my focus and, and uh, what I've been doing for the last few years. All right, George Carvajal, Carvajal Performance. Uh, my background is in, uh, started as a strength conditioning coach, uh, much like Jeremy, I guess. Uh, University of Florida, University of Nebraska, and the U.S. Olympic Training Center. From that, I segued into what is now Carvajal Performance, and we specialize in three types of uh, athletes, uh, big wave surfer, world surf league athletes, uh, military special operations through an independent contractor uh, situation, and then NFL uh, NFL guys. I'm doing that probably going on uh, 27 years. All right. Well, hey, great, guys. And so first question I know we have some different angles too, which that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you guys together is people who are seeing different ends of the athletic spectrum. And uh, so the first question I would have is, at what uh, age or level should an athlete consider specializing in, in one sport? And does it matter what sport they do, whether it be football versus swimming or wrestling? Uh, I know it's a loaded question, could carry us the whole time, and that's cool. Uh, but uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah I who, think. Who'd you like to go first? I think we got uh, Jeremy was uh, jumping on that one, so uh, mm -hmm. let's let's roll with that. I was just gonna say, you know, I think when it, when an athlete's uh, it will specialize is when they're when they're like really ready physically, you know, mentally, emotionally, those things, type of things. You know, you might have a you might have a kid who might be a great athlete, or he might be a great uh, he might be great at one sport, but you know, he still wants to play other things. You know, so maybe everyone's telling him, maybe recruiters are telling him what he should be doing, but he still enjoys playing basketball. Maybe he's a great football player. I had that situation last year where I had a kid who was going to be a Division One football player, and everyone's telling him he should just concentrate on football, but he really loved basketball. 
you know, and nobody was going to tell him that he couldn't play hoops, you know? So I think it's just, it kind of, it depends on the, the different sport too. I know girls in gymnastics, they specialize very, very early, you know, compared to, you know, maybe a, a, a different type of sport like football or basketball or baseball, where you might see kids specialize in, uh, in high school. So it, it really, really depends. I think you guys. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's a question I've kind of, uh, wrestled with a little bit after that whole kind of Twitter war on long-term like development and all that stuff, which is always interesting because it brings out really smart guys and guys that have been in the trenches at that level, like Jeremy and like Zach. Um, my perspective is very different. I, again, I see the end result and not that beginning uh, child. But what I do know when I started the end, kind of work myself back, um, it's usually specialization at a very, very early age in football. We're talking uh, six or seven, sometimes five, uh, very peewee peewee uh, pop world league football. Uh, you know, is it good or bad? That's a completely other different topic. But uh, it seems to be that that's a real age. Uh, are they mentally mature enough to understand the game? Or is it just that they have good movement qualities versus other kids? Good coordination, i.e. coordination. Uh, I wrestle with that because I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I just know that it seems to take a lot of years and a lot of skill work to get to a certain level. And uh, again, is is that what builds athleticism? Uh, someone starting at a very young age exposed to many different movement patterns, many different sports? Or is it just someone that some people just have it, right? That, that intrinsic factor. Do you have it at that age? I don't know. Jeremy and Zach would probably be able to answer that a little bit better, but uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting topic there. Yeah, I agree with what they're saying. And the, the tricky thing is, is there's um, kind of like what George says, is there's no right answer. There's almost no wrong answer because we see um, the athletes who have great genetics, who could withstand and their body could tolerate a lot of training and they're just unfazed by it physically. Uh, what Jeremy's talking about emotionally, psychologically, I found to be huge and it depends on the sport. You know, um, for example, baseball, I don't have as much emotional stress um, as I'm going to feel emotionally from wrestling or some sort of a one-on-one -on -one sport where I, you know, might get beat up in front of a crowd of, you know, several hundred people and I'm only eight years old and now I'm dealing with these up and down emotions you know, my son could lose, you know, a baseball game and, you know, everybody loses together and nobody feels like it's the end of the world. And um, so genetics is a big thing. And I also think geography is something I'm try I try to pay close attention to. And um, I asked somebody, I don't, I don't recall who it was, um, uh, but uh, it may have been one of the guys that was working uh, for one of the major league organizations that was spending a lot of time in Puerto Rico and the Dominican. And I said, you know, come on, tell me what's, you know, why when I was in high school, I don't recall any athlete having a surgery of any type, not even a meniscus surgery, um, you know, shoulder surgery. But I said, then in those early 2000s, I started meeting many kids who needed Tommy John surgery, shoulder surgery. And sometimes I think that maybe us in America we might overthink everything and there's so many different coaches not really working together and kind of looking at, you know, James Smith is global coaching sports concept. And he said, you know, in, you know, the Dominican and Puerto Rico, he goes, these kids, you know, could play year round. 
Uh, but then when they're tired, they don't pitch. And it's like they just don't overthink stuff. And in America, you know, the big struggle is if I played hockey, now my son is playing hockey. Um, my dad's from Romania. And when he grew up in Romania, he said around age eight every month, the coaches would come to the school, weigh the boys in in their boxers. And my dad went to swimming and boxing because of his long arms and long legs. And they liked his reach. Other kids went to wrestling. Other kids started weightlifting. So we're, it's, you know, in America, it's almost like things are different for the kids. It's almost like the geography, the geography and the genetics are determining. I know Dan John spoke about that. And then, you know, opportunity. So if I grow up in certain areas of, you know, the mountains of Russia, I might be a very good wrestler or that geography might say I become a very good water polo or volleyball or basketball player. So I've found, I've struggled with that. There's no right or wrong answer, but really harping on what Jeremy said, the emotional and psychological factor. And George saying like, look, man, you might just be a great athlete and you played this sport and, and it was good for you. It didn't, your body was able to handle it. So there's so many factors I'm finding are falling into, is it good or bad? Um, but psychology and genetics are really something I'm looking at. What is good or bad for somebody, you know? Yes. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, I, so, I will say, too, that, uh, <laughs> you know, in defense of playing multiple sports, like, you know, Brian Grasso said this to me years ago. He said to me, like, would you ever have your child just learn math in middle school? You know what I mean? Like, would you ever just have your kid learn one subject? And I was right. like, no, you, you want them to be well-rounded. You know what I mean? And so I kind of, I kind of look at it the same way with children growing up is that they, they will, you know, the more sports they play, um, you know, the better off because their foundation will be bigger. Their skill set will be better. And the other, the other part of it is, you know, I wrote this on Twitter, like regardless of their genetic predisposition, if they're good or bad, you know, playing multiple sports develops fundamental movement skills, right? And so whether those athletes who, who uh, will ever use those skills in their sport, their particular sport later on, the fact that they can, they have those skills and almost like what Lee was saying, Lee, Lee Taft was saying in your, uh, in your other podcast, like they'd be able to use those skills at some point. You never know when you're going to need it to make a certain play in a game. You know, he's talking about an outfielder running out and catching a ball, like having a wide foundation of those skills. You know, you never know when you're going to need it. So for me, I just look at it as an athlete growing up, especially through those middle school years, having, having access to as much movement and variation and diversity as possible is the best for them. You know, but yeah, again, and, uh, Jeremy, what, what, you, what you actually said, I'm going to quote you because I loved it, and I actually wrote it down, was regardless of genetic predisposition, diversity of movement helps develop all-around movement skills. And that was it. I love that because I don't know – what kind of diversity they had growing up. Again, I get them at the level where they're coming into the NFL. So what I do is not knowing that, that kind of being behind the curtain, I provide that diversity of movement so they Love can it. develop their all-around skills at this level. Uh, would it have been better had they done it then? The answer is most likely yes, obviously. Right. Here's what, you know, uh, piggybacking on what Jeremy and George say, what's so interesting is, so George working with the athletes in the NFL or they're going into the NFL, when I think about a lot of times those best athletes, let's say it's a lineman, somebody's teaching them hand fighting skills. So they're bringing in some form of judo or wrestling or martial arts. 
Um, <coughs> if I looked at some of the older wrestling videos um, from Russia, their warm-ups incorporated basketball, water polo, trail running. Um, and even when I'm warming up athletes, I'll do ultimate football. I'll do another sport as the warm-up to build their athleticism. And when I look at who is the most successful um, athlete, especially those that have to, to move, so um, you know the, the athletes that are on the fields versus maybe if it's a swimmer who's just kind of going straight ahead. But if it's an athlete who has to move, I've always found that they're moving better because they had, you know, what Jeremy's saying, that, that background in the ability to move. So one of the, you know, best wrestlers I ever worked with, he did a lot of, he was football player. He also played baseball. But when I was a phys ed teacher, I still remember in third grade, he was a third grader. I'm playing wiffle ball and he's running on the cement to make a play. He's about to wipe out. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, he's about to go down. And, uh, and most kids would have just, boom, bottomed out. He's about to fall, and he did a shoulder roll on the cement and then got back out. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, that's from all the tumbling and gymnastic drills we did during wrestling practice. So he learned how to move better. So, you know, the, the question maybe isn't is it right or wrong, but how do we make an athlete better? And I think eventually, you know, if we look at the conjugate style of training, changing up stimulus – Athletes get excited with different movement patterns. And then the psychological thing to me is, is such a unique, uh, it's such a unique angle into training somebody. I look at, if I can make you more confident, I've improved your performance. So if, if uh, you were nervous to play ultimate football, right, and you play another sport, and now I've got you running, catching, you know, you know moving, I've increased your confidence because now you feel better about how you move. Now that has a carryover to your baseball or this other sport. So I guess the ultimate question is not, is it right or wrong or when is the right time, but what's better, what's better for this athlete. And, um, you know, I think we're agreeing that if we could get them, you know, open up their movement repertoire, um, we're making them better at that specific sport. And that's kind of the recipe we need to, what's the better thing for the kid? Do that. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Zach, I, I'm going to take it back to something you said um, a couple minutes ago. And you were mentioning like baseball in Puerto Rico. And before this whole podcast, I was thinking like of like Pacific Islanders and like rugby in Fiji or like uh, uh, Stephen Jones had written for the website about like the cricketeers of the, the East Indies or something, how athletic those guys were. But a lot of these countries, it's like there's a national sport. You probably just play that sport. But I feel like the culture is a big difference. And then free play, too. Like and, and like you said, resting when you feel like resting, like maybe rugby is the only sport the island plays. But you don't you could rest when you want. You're probably playing, running barefoot all the time. Like I, I, I'd sure. like to talk about like the cultural, like the uh, kind of the cultural things that are probably problematic. So thoughts on like when the culture and, and I guess maybe the Americanized attitudes of, of driving kids and, and how that could be a negative impact on, on a kid getting their best performance. Um, can I start this one off guys? Sure. Yeah. Um, when I, when I was younger, you know, uh, I wasn't born in this country, neither were my parents. So when we moved to America, my father didn't know baseball. He didn't know American football. He put us in soccer. And the summer before third grade, 
I spent the full summer in Israel, and every day we played uh, basketball and soccer. And I remember the goalie played with flip-flops on cement, and I came home that, that year for third grade, and I was like the best soccer player I ever was. And I look back, it was because I did a lot of different sports. Um, the culture, here's what's unique, is that you know we all talk about how the kids don't play in the streets anymore and everything is coached and I I certainly have an issue with that so even you know the township complained complained to me that um, I was using a park for this 10 minutes of ultimate football on this random basis and I have a business and I said well it's a desolate park there's nobody there we're not bothering anybody there's literally nobody there we don't take up space that nobody's utilizing so that's, you know, certainly something big. But culture, I found what's normal to and culture doesn't have to just be in this country. You know, the culture in, you know, a certain section of Florida could be different than a culture in a certain section of Massachusetts and New Jersey. Right. So what people believe to be normal changes how their body responds to it. So with us always, I think, sometimes talking so scared of throwing a baseball around it sometimes sounds so crazy. I think we scare people into doing things. And um, that to me, that the culture changes. If your mindset is of, of fear, then your body almost responds or has like a lack of response to what might be kind of normal <clears throat> things. But you know, like those athletes you're talking about, you know, in, in Fiji. So, okay, if they're playing rugby when they're not, playing they're surfing they're swimming they're running they're you know probably working on a farm or doing some sort of manual labor so there's so many forms of you know sure. when i say training it's an umbrella it's like an umbrella term and um where i'm now my son is plays baseball uh with majors two kids have already gotten injured one broke his elbow pitching the other one injured his shoulder after a quarterback camp and to me, I think when I look at that, you know, our culture here is my son's going to be a star, this player, that player, but everybody's afraid of doing push-ups and like little things that could change those things. So culture in a geographical area, like a city, you know, like the culture in Miami is probably different than a, a, another area of Florida. Like I always think of that 30 for 30 when they um, Jimmy Johnson started recruiting the guys mm -hmm. out of Florida and they, those guys were just tough. They were tough. So I think that the culture inside of a household and then the culture inside of a town, I've looked at like this town always wins. Why does that town always win? And I try to pinpoint things and I just love what these guys have said about the psychology of am I emotionally ready? Do I believe in this? What is our normal? You know, my our normal um, thought of hard work to somebody else, they might look at it like that's crazy. Don't do those things. So there's so many of these factors that impact what, you know, how somebody develops and psychology is huge. It's like, why does this town always win in this? But they stink at the other sport. The belief systems drive a lot of how we're going to you know, prepare. And then of course, 
I think what Jeremy's doing with that youth is like exactly what physical education needs to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this as my last thing that I'm challenging people with. Um, there, you know, and George has probably the most experienced coaching out of all of us. So George has seen the most dramatic shift of how many quote unquote sports performance facilities there are everywhere, right? Like multiple facilities within a very small town, but still we have more injuries than ever before. And we have, I have the majority of high school kids that cannot jump rope or do a full range pull up. And, uh, so it's a very tricky place that we're in. And I think ultimately is, um, we're not, we're, there's just not a whole lot of working together, right? Meaning Jeremy is in his town, but he doesn't really train anybody from his town. I'm in a town. I train nobody from my town where you can really walk here. So the culture and the mindset and, um, there's so many factors falling into why are we, there's more availability, but less almost success. It's a really tricky, it's a real tricky place we're in right now. I honestly don't think we're going to see kids playing in the streets like we used to. I just don't think it's going to go back to that. Um, it's a tricky question and answer here. You guys in like, you know, if you look at like uh, New Zealand has one of the best physical education type programs around, you know, if you, if you go and study the stuff they do and, and the way they do it and how they bring kids up, um, you know, it's no surprise how well, you know, how great their rugby program is too. I'm sure those kids get just from, 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 you know, the earliest days of preschool, et cetera, they probably get tons of movement experiences. You know, it's, it's, I have a friend that lives there too. And he said, there's, you know, it's playgrounds everywhere. There's parks. It's, I think movement and being outside is really important for their, probably for their culture, you know, and then, and then obviously, Every kid probably wants to eventually be a great, a great rugby player. You know, if you if you like that type of sport. So I think if you look exactly like what what uh, Zach's saying, you know, if these kids get all this access to movement and play, and and they get brought up through a system, kind of that's the way it is. You see, you see the end result is usually pretty positive. Because that's your normal, we're, right? Hey, right. Yeah. We're here. Um, you know, yeah. take. I can take a little. I I could probably take ninety percent of little league pitchers, and they can't. They probably couldn't get themselves across the monkey bars. You know what I mean? Because all they probably never had phys ed or very little phys ed growing up through their years, right? And then all their other time is basically spent playing that sport or a couple sports that doesn't really train you physically. Doesn't. So do we have these kids pitching every weekend or every couple days a week or whatever? And so they're, they're trying to throw the ball as hard as they can, but they don't even have the strength and stability in their shoulders to be able to hold their body up for a extended period of time. So you wonder why, you know, elbows are falling apart. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the, the concept of culture, uh, you have to think about the logistics of parenting, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that parents are in the workforce, uh, they work a nine to five, the school system is set up where kids come out three or four. There may be latch kids. Um, I've had, hundreds of those kids, usually from the inner city, yes. uh, where they sort of cannot parent themselves until mom and dad gets home. The facility of the park uh, where they become the latchkey kids is usually a park. Uh, what's offered at that park is usually baseball or soccer or football. Uh, and so they just kind of segue into whatever sport that is. In Miami, it's going to be uh, <laughs> primarily football. Soccer and baseball certainly have uh, – because baseball now are year-round sport, and so is soccer, uh, a lot of participation. 
But take take your average parent that has two kids, a uh, boy and a girl, age 10, and now has to drive from school across town to two different parks. The logistics of that is yes. that there's not going to be a multi-sport athlete in that family. Correct. Johnny and Susie are probably going to have to pick one sport. Uh, I just spoke to a parent yesterday who has uh, a son who plays three different sports and has already told him, not because of lack of interest on his part, but the logistics of her and her job, you're going to have to pick one sport because I can't go three different parks at three different times. And by the way, I have to take your sister to soccer. You still have baths, homework, dinner, yeah. and then bedtime. And Dead so on. the logistics of parenting make it very, very, very different to have multi-sport athletes these days. I'm, Just I'm in that boat. Taxi cab. Yes, I'm in what George said is spot on. I'm in that same boat. And I always say, man, like, I always say my kids will be so much better if kids would just knock on my door and they just go to the park and do their four hours of baseball and pick Absolutely. up football. Yeah. But everything is coached and organized and they're not able to think for themselves. But George is right because we will lose kids at my gym because basically parents, you know, you have to clone yourself. They've got one kid in the middle school, the other one in the high school. And it's the different times, and, and now they're running out of time. You know, ultimately, you know, we as parents, I'm a parent, so we're, we have that safety concern of what are they doing outside? Is it safe? And so, you know, the people running these programs, for example, that we would play in the streets. Last summer, my son, I took him to a camp inside, you know, a bubble, and they're playing uh flag football and stuff that we would have normally played in the street. And I was like, man, I can't believe I'm paying for what we <laughs> in the street, but the kids aren't in the streets, right? They're just not in the streets anymore. So it's, a, it's uh it's tough. No doubt about Different it. Different time. That's for sure. hundred percent. You know, we growing up, we had a, um, this place called St. John's gym. And it's just a big, it was a huge gym run by the church. It was a quarter every day to go in there after school. And then on Friday nights, it was, it was $2. But like thinking back, uh, you you'd walk in on a Friday night and there would be 150, 200 kids playing everything. So just this huge court and there's basketball games going on. There's football games going on. There's kids wrestling. There's kids on their skateboards come whizzing by. And like, can you imagine like just naturally what this type of spatial and kinesthetic awareness that you develop because all that stuff's happening? Like this, most kids at that age anyways are starving for kind of – no, they need that movement. They need that, that stimulus. And so it's amazing when I was like thinking back, like I remember nobody ever got hurt. Like every now and then there'd right. be a collision, but like everything that was going on and there was like so much going on and, and nobody ever got hurt. And it's kind of weird. They short, they sort of shut it down. But if you look back, it's kind of like when that, that time period, when like all these kids were coming through there and spent a lot of time, like just a few years later, we had really high, like really good high school teams. And a lot of those kids spent a lot of time there. Like, we used to go there, especially in the winter, because you're in New England. So, like, you know, we, we didn't want to be outside freezing unless you're, like, into hockey or skiing. But, you know, we were there every day after school. The bus would drop us off, and we would be playing everything. We'd play knee football. We would play regular football. We would be playing basketball. We'd play tag. And, and, and through the years, we, we, we spent our entire middle school there. Once you got to high school, you were kind of too cool to go there anymore. But, but uh, it's just amazing what that type of environment can do for development for a kid. I think that might be the, f I've said, I think that could be the future 
meaning these big facilities are going to open up with the ability for kids to go in and play open sports door. under yep. a roof. Um, yep. And then there's going to be the flip side of the coin, like George said, the kids that are grown up in the inner cities, they're going to parent themselves. Um, you know, the oldest kid in that family, probably single parent household is going to, you know, raise the other ones and they're going to play, you know, tackle football, soccer, baseball in the field that's in the middle of the apartment complex. That's right. And then, you know, you, you've got that. And um, what I would love to see is if towns would really try to seek out and find who is the expert in the town that could help guide us with this. But it's gone the opposite where we talk about culture. Hey, this town is a we're a basketball town. We're not into, you know, baseball. We're a football town. And I would say, well, it's very black and white. You're either about the kids or you're not about the kids. And uh, what's interesting is, you know, my, you know, with Jeremy working with youth and me working with that middle school, high school population, our story of not training athletes from within our town is super common. You ask a coach who lives in Smithville, Alabama, if he trains kids from Smithville and he'll say, you know, I don't, I, they don't come here. They come from all around elsewhere. And I think that the concept of what James Smith talks about coaches working together, or you're just a coach, you're not the skill coach, you know, look, the European coaches, you know, it, it was like they had the, the sports skill knowledge and the performance knowledge so there was no ego involved. It was just like, hey, we're going to take pride in, in building these athletes. And um, that's it. I don't care where, you know, I don't care if I get the credit or not. We're just going to help these kids. And I think that is that is gone. That You know, I don't want to say it's gone, but it is certainly uh, – it's not very prominent. And um, we need coaches who could work with athletes, you know, that are not – the they they actually have the knowledge so if you're gonna coach the baseball team they got to warm up a little more than just throwing you know and if you don't understand performance like we do then you're just gonna warm them up with baseball skills you know go back to what's the first thing jeremy said like open up that movement repertoire and i'm gonna make you better i'm gonna i'm gonna do all of these things to make you better at this one thing we understand that not enough people do uh, you know, it's uh, it's tricky. It talks a little bit, Joel, about what's wrong then with youth sports, right? The, the industry itself. And that's that's a super vast topic. And for me, it's the answer is, and I keep going back to this when I talk to coaches at, at multiple levels, is we're missing that high school level. We're really, really missing that level, right? We, we have someone like Jeremy doing a phenomenal job with those youth athletes. And then they segue into an organized program at the high school level. It's usually the biology teacher that doubles as a strength conditioning coach or, or one of the football coaches that happens to be a lifter himself, but he doesn't have the background. So the setup of a good strength conditioning program at, at that level, but more importantly, the recruiting of an individual, a coach that understands that, movement and skills is super important and not because they want to become a multi-sport athlete but because they want to develop athleticism and let that then segue into whatever it is the kid wants to but we're really really missing at that level just good old coaching 
it's it's really mm-hmm. simple for me. And that's that's also um, geography wise. There are certain states in our country that have very qualified high school strength coaches. So I'm pretty sure Florida has some good pockets of it. I believe North and South Carolina, Georgia and Texas do. And um, what we see in New Jersey, it's probably like this in other states, is that the parents that are very serious about the sports, they look at, okay, the town I live in does not have a great, you know, XYZ sport, let's say basketball. Well, then they're just going to look for the great private school. And now the kids travel to that one. And because there would normally be one or two stars on the team, now the one or two stars all come together at that private school because the parents are seeking out excellence. And, you know, when George said we need great strength conditioning coaches, what I was able to do with a new athlete, you know, eight, five years ago, forget about when I started, is different than what I was able to, what I'm able to do today. It's, I'm calling it the de-evolution of the athlete. They're showing up, you know, like never, I don't ever recall my early days saying, wow, his ankle mobility, his hip mobility, that I didn't, none of that right. stuff was uh, prominent. They were able to squat and do pushups and pull-ups and they could move. And I, we didn't need to introduce these things to them. So now more than ever, because of this de-evolution, we now more than ever need a more qualified you know, strength and conditioning coach. And when we say strength and conditioning, uh, you know, for us listening, that's really two things. We're looking at really performance, right? Mm-hmm. I think for if for parents that might be listening to this, a qualified, you know, quote unquote, strength and conditioning coach is really a performance coach. That coach can say, okay, here's where his body or her body is breaking down during this exercise. I'm going to reverse engineer and I'm going to create a, you know, exercises and programming to build those weak areas that make him or her better at this. So it's more complicated than the lay person understands. But for us, it's, that's how we look at the human body the same way an accountant looks at numbers. We can't do accounting. We'd be like, Whoa, what is that? But the accountant's like, Oh, I work with numbers every day. It's easy. Somebody who works with the human body every day, we could just, (laughs) we're assessing that athlete when they walk in physically, emotionally. So, you know, these different pockets throughout our country of, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, you know, a, a high school wanted me to uh, come in for an interview. And when I told them I looked at the area and I wasn't sure it was the best fit for my family, the secretary said, oh, you should have told us we'll help you find housing. That's a high school. Right. But, you know, certain colleges wouldn't they're going to be like, listen, we can't pay you that extra 10, 15 grand. It's, you know, the geography and the culture completely change the direction of what is going to happen in strength and conditioning. It's super interesting. And that's how I sort of, for me, it got into working with the youth kids is that when I was in college, when I was working in the college sector at the time, everything was, uh, and I'm not picking on it, but everything was FMS functional movement screen and it was corrective exercise it was huge because everyone well and i think a reason was because a lot of coaches started getting athletes in their program that didn't move well so they sort of almost automatically said well well like fms was around and and it kind of gave you some clues as to why they're not moving well and they gave you like a sort of roadmap that said all right well if you try to do these things you know they'll they may get better right 
But for me, I, I didn't feel like I had enough time to do that stuff with, with the college athletes. And then, so I kind of started backtracking, like George said, same thing he does. I started backtracking and I just kept going back further and further and realized like for me, the best thing to do would be to start a kid, have access to children and implement that stuff right away. So they don't have to run into those problems. So when my kids go to the high school coach or my guys go to the college coach, everything's in place already. And that's kind of why I am where I am today. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I think one of the the things that, within the culture, I, this is a big experience for me where I'm like, wow, this is a cultural thing, is I was at a, a youth track meet, like kids 5 to 14 years old over the uh, a weekend ago, and in the 100-meter dash, which everybody does on the, that level, there was like five kids that pulled their hamstring. I'm like, kids should not right. be pulling their hamstring, like... You shouldn't right. pull your hamstring. We used to get off the bus and just sprint home. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Top speed down the street, and we wouldn't pull anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, you should be – I mean, usually it's like – I mean, you should be pulling until you're at least running sub-13 or sub-12 fast enough to. It really blew my mind, and I'm just like, these kids probably they, – they aren't playing. They aren't doing anything. They're they're probably on you know screens all the time and, and whatever. And, and, and then the coaching too, I, I think you guys have mentioned it, and – one thing I, 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 as I'm putting things together as you guys are talking, like I just think about you know kind of the issues and, and the things in this country that are maybe holding, um, holding things back from being better. I've had a discussion with a friend of mine, Paul Cater, about like how good can a country's sports system truly be as a whole without like government intervention, right? Saying you get to do this at this time, and and obviously kids are playing and all and all that. Um, I, I like the idea of too, like if it is. Uh, down to the coaches, like like taking down egos and collaborating more, like the sport coaches collaborating more with the sports performance coaches who know the physical literacy that these kids need to have to not be eight and pull your hamstring in the 100-meter dash at a, a, a kid's meet. Uh, what do you guys sure. think? I mean, is there ways that – how do you guys see hopefully this evolving? And, Jeremy, I like what you said, like if there was just like a big place for kids just to go play, like that would be really cool. But uh, – uh, just like, what are some ways you hopefully see this thing evolving over time to make the situation better? I think he has the, to come back. Yes, I was just going to say, just took the words out of my mouth, Jeremy. Sorry. <laughs> Is, you <laughs> yeah, you, you have to stop de-emphasizing PE in school. That's yep. it. That's where it starts. Um, you can't make standardized testing the most important thing. There is no physical literacy developed in the classroom. You have to go outside. So the 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 de-emphasizing of PE must must stop government intervention pitch forks i don't know what has to happen but that is where it starts i think the research is slowly getting there like i mean you can just google it now and you can find hundreds of it right but but uh it's it's there's just so there's so much of it it's it's so obvious that movement helps children learn you know and then obviously more movement helps get children more athletic and improves their movement skill at the same time you know what i mean so I think, um, and yeah, they de-emphasize PE, and some kids have it once, once a week, once every yes. eight days, something crazy like that, and it's, and and it just does, it's not really doing anything for anyone, you know. And the yeah. other side of it is like when I when I was in school, we had, uh, we had recess when we got off the bus, we got to run around before school. We had a morning recess, and we had an afternoon recess, and now kids have one recess, and it's like twenty minutes, right? 
but but you'd be shocked at how much movement a kid can get in, in at recess and all this and that's free play and that's the best type of that's the best type of movement um, and that's so so that's another thing we're in a you know I taught a phys ed for 11 years and my goal is to get back to being in the schools because during my eight years not working in the schools um, I've learned that and that the bottom line is the standard must be raised so if I drive by a high school and I see the phys ed class, they, there might be, you know, 20 kids playing and there's going to be 20 kids sitting on bleachers and then the other 20 are just walking. And, you know, phys ed teachers, the bottom line is there's not a whole lot of pressure on them to create performers. There's a lot of pressure on the classroom teachers mm-hmm. because when I was teaching, I saw those exams and those and those state tests coming through. And it, it really changed the, um, the atmosphere within the school. I saw young teachers looking stressed out and burnt out after three years, which was very ironic. And uh, phys ed teachers, unfortunately, they're not, you know, raising the standard. A lot of times I say, well, they're doing the same stuff we did when I was in high school. It hasn't evolved, yet exercise and the, inf- and the abundance of information has completely evolved. And um, when I think that also from a standpoint of when you have resources, let's say the town knows about Jeremy, the town knows about George and myself, why isn't the town and the athletic director and the booster clubs calling guys like us in? And really the bottom line is you either care about the kids or there's a whole political thing going on. And when you care about the kids, you're trying to just get the best people in there. And in my conversations through the years with athletic directors and seeing what's going on, they've told me that they're basically um, <laughs> athletics is taking a backseat because they're just exhausted from the backlash of legal things from parents and the complaints. So my neighbor who retired, he was a athletic director and an assistant superintendent. He said, listen, Zach, years ago, I got maybe one phone call a marking period, maybe a couple, you know, a marking period, one a month. He goes, I get four to eight phone calls a day from parents complaining. And he goes, we just don't want to deal with the backlash. So if a coach is, you know, challenging the kids, a lot of kids or parents view it as he's mean or he's abusing me. Or, you know, I've seen coaches who grew up in a town worked for the town, coached for a town almost 30 years, and then get fired without being able to defend themselves. You know, things like, yes, we run in the heat because we practice in August, and it's always hot in August. So we're always going to run in the heat because that's when football starts, in August. And I'm not being mean. I'm preparing them for football. But what's there's, you know, an expert coach knows that for training to be effective, it's going to have to be challenging. It's not always going to be easy or quote unquote optimal. There's going to be challenges. So there's a lot of roadblocks from the legal issues, from the politics. And uh, what the, what I, my main concern is that this information that we're sharing right here is going to exist in a vacuum. It's going to go to other strength coaches and then other coaches, but it's never going to reach the decision makers. You know, the people that are on the board of ed, the superintendent, you know, that's where we need the people who make the choices to say, guess what? 
I got this guy George in town, and this guy's going to come in, and he's going to do an in-service for the coaches, and we're going to develop a system, and we're going to listen to this guy. But, you know, George saying he's been coaching for 30 years. I wonder how many times a township has reached out to him or maybe he reached out to them and he said, you're our guy. We're going to you're going to do this. Probably not, because that's why he's working with, you know, the, the spec ops military and the NFL, because guys like us, we want to help. But eventually we hit a wall with trying to help. And, and the decision makers keep saying, no, we got this right. It's yeah, uh, kind of heartbreaking. I work, I coach uh, youth football, you know, AYF, American Youth Football. And before every season, the kids are required to do 10 hours of conditioning before the season. So we, before we can ever put pads on or run a play, you have an entire week, 10 hours. Of, mm. It's called conditioning week, right? And me being the coach I am, I said, well, it makes a little bit more sense maybe to do five weeks twice a week instead sure. of one week, one week for two hours, right, every right. day. The kids are miserable. Like by the end of the week, I'm I like last year I ran the whole conditioning week, and I'm a pretty creative guy. But by by the end of five days, two hours a day, the kids are just exhausted <laughs> and miserable. I had trouble making games up and stuff like that. But the, and I I even volunteered. I said, listen, I'll we'll start in July, and I'll run it for any towns around, and let's get these kids to come out twice a week for an hour at a time. And and uh, and 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 we'll do it that way. And then by the time it is come conditioning week, these kids are going to be in a bet, much better shape. They're going to be way more prepared. We're not going to have kids dropping out. We're not going to kids have kids getting injured or even worse, fake an injury, which that yeah. always happens, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, and then it, it'd be just such a better idea. And everyone's like, no, we can't do that. The 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 people at the top say no. It's like it's one of the most frustrating things. Because as a coach, I'm a performance coach. I think I have a better idea what's going on than, you know, than what they do. But that's like, it basically stops at the league director and that's it. So frustrating. Right. Right now in this country, AP exams are going on. Right. And so you have teachers, administrators and students completely freaking out. You don't see anybody freaking out over the presidential physical fitness test. Right. It's just, (laughs) no, that's not where the emphasis is. And we, we have to bring that emphasis back. We have to stop de-emphasizing that and bring back the focus to we need to get back to play yes um, and that's gonna be in the house too right george like talk absolutely. about parenting absolutely you know with uh so if your kids see you you know doing things exercising active that is their normal just like a kid who might grow up in the hood you know sees you know violence he or she thinks that that is normal so as parents you know, the food that's in the house, what you accept, what you allow, you know, to go on. And then what, what do you do during, during the downtime? So now that the weather's breaking, you know, I emphasize to parents, get out on the bikes, go to the tennis courts, just get outside and and do those things with the kids. Um, So we're in a real strange place in this country. And there's kind of like pockets of people who know what's going on. There's you know, kids who could emotionally handle the specialization, like Jeremy said, there's, there's so much, you know, uh, going on up in the air. And I'll say this too, like, sometimes I look at it this way, take Jocko Willink's extreme ownership. You know, um, I say, well, it's my fault that I can't reach these teachers and coaches because I never became an administrator. 
So to create change, sometimes we got to say, hey, I got to take this path that is the path of most influence because um, if I'm just the coach, just the teacher, you come up with an idea, you know, you're going to, what Jeremy said, they're going to be like, well, no, that's not, it's too long this, too short that, too far here, too much that. So we have to, uh, you know, coaches out there that are working in the schools, you know, move into administration and then you take your knowledge and, and you know, cre- create a web, you know, the pay it forward model where I coach one person and that one person helps two people and those two help two and so forth. We're in a real unique place. And uh, it, if we're just going to talk about, you know, youth here, it, keep it black and white. What's the best thing for these kids? Let's move in that direction. Put aside the politics, put aside all that stuff. But man, that's not, you know, I'm not sure if that's coming around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about school, uh, you guys know how big uh, ADD, ADHD is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to minimize the symptoms of those two things, like movements where it's at, you know, those Absolutely. kids are starving for movement. And a lot of them, like some kids with ADD, uh, have what's kind of one of the symptoms is that they have um, uh, low muscle tone. And so you yes. see those kids, like basically they want to put their head down when they're in class. They're like, they're sleepy. And you always wonder why they're so tired and you know, some kids are, have such low muscle tone that if they don't pay attention, they'll fall right out of their seat. They'll slip right out of their seat and fall on the ground because they mm-hmm. don't have that sensory feedback. And so movement <laughs> kind of wakes up that system. It wakes up their vestibular system, things like that. And so they can sit up and pay attention more. And then on the other side of it, the kids with ADHD who are hyperactive, you know, they have all this bound, they have boundless nervous energy. It's really what it is. And a lot of those kids are very anxious. And so we all know that when we move around, you feel better. Well, how do you think they oh, feel? They feel yes, great. I got it. Right, you know? right. They feel great. And so, and so then if you're having a problem of a, you know, kids having trouble in class, he probably needs to move around a little bit. It's the, you know? when I used to, uh, when I started teaching phys ed in the whole school, I think there were like two or three kids that were classified with either ADD or ADHD and they were on meds. And then by my third year, I remember the nurse shut down, you know, having an open nurse's office during lunch. There was a line close to 30 deep waiting for medication. And uh, what Jeremy's saying, what I started doing was instead of eating lunch in the faculty room, I ate lunch in the gym. And then I would invite kids to they could eat lunch in the gym and they would basically have a second phys ed class. So if a class this class behaved the best. You get lunch with Mr. Evanesh. These kids would gobble a lunch in like three minutes. And then it was, I'd let them play floor hockey or create their own basketball game. Or when it got warm, they played wiffle ball. They needed another, you know, time of day for activity. And I got kids too. When my kids aren't active, they destroy the house. It's like they they, they destroy the house. So for teachers out there listening, classroom teachers out there, that's one of the best things you could do. Take your kids out and let them play kickball. Let them create their own game. Let them even just walk and get fresh air. And Jeremy's right. Like if I don't work out, it's like probably not a good idea to hang around me. <laughs> not like a pleasant person if I don't get to train. So it's a, you know, movement is key. The standards have to be raised. 
and you know experts within local areas need to be leveraged and brought in and given the ability to make decisions that are best for the kids. I love it. Um, so yeah, our time's just about up. But any other uh, closing thoughts from you guys? I, I was going to say too, just on my little last end, I, I came into this kind of with a lot of questions that were more geared towards uh, almost those like symbiotic relationships, right? Track and football in high school and those things we commonly see. But I, you realize the issue runs much deeper than that. And it's on that grassroots level of, of that the kid just playing and just even um, from a neurotransmitter perspective, getting that dopamine stimulation by moving so they can function better at everything else. I've had a very high level swimmer I work with and, and she says, you know, if I don't swim, if I'm not moving, everything else in my life just doesn't seem to work very well. It doesn't come together. And it's so understated. Like, it's just crazy. I mean, the mind is the body. I've always believed that. And so uh, just the, I, I love where this conversation has gone today, guys. Uh, any, any closing thoughts from you guys before, before our time's up? Yeah, for me, it's it's multi-sport does not guarantee multi-athletic. Yep. Uh, movement, however, guarantees a better quality of life. Let the kids play. Yes, I'll say Jeremy, from what I see, is really leading the way for that youth age. And what I see a lot of is these youth, quote-unquote, speed classes training seven, eight, nine-year-olds like many adults. They're pushing hard prowlers. They're, you know, deadlifting with round backs. And uh, that's not, they don't need those things. So Jeremy, what Jeremy's doing, it's its not just age appropriate, but it's, you know, it's scientifically appropriate. It's biologically and emotionally appropriate. And I think that, you know, for the business owners out there, don't run a youth class and train them like they're in high school because that's not, it might be filling your bank account, but it's not, you know, again, it's black and white. What's the better thing for the kids? And, um, you know, they need the movement, the play. If you look at what Jeremy does, it's physical culture. It's all this movement stuff. It's not and just like, about speed development, Zach, right? Correct. Yeah. I, it's, uh, we could say, we could say it's, it's a buzzword that parents buy into the speed, right? Just like if you're, training a um, youth football player, they probably want to hear first step quickness. If you're training a baseball player, the mom and dad want you to say the word core and rotator cuff. <laughs> and I'm urging the, the coaches out there to not feed into the fads and gimmicks because you're hurting, you know, what is the industry, whether you consider yourself a fitness professional or, or, or you know, a performance coach, you know, it's, you know, it's gotta be age appropriate and, and uh, I always say to people, I go, you could run your business strictly with the bank account, and then you're probably going to do some wrong things. You're going to, you know, you're going to end up training seven-year-olds who, you know, I get more phone calls from dads about seven-year-olds talking to me about explosiveness and first-step quickness than I do about, you know, the older kids. So you got to do, you know, at the end of the day, just look at, am I doing the right thing for the kids? And that's what it's about. Watch what I, I mean, what I really try to do, if, and I'll tell you guys a story, just finish it up. You know, when I have a group of kids and I do this all the time and, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine year olds, two things happen when they first come in my gym. If I don't say anything and there's an open space, two things happen. They either start wrestling with each other or they start playing tag. So if there's no balls around, it's just open space. They're either going to uh, every time they're going to either start to wrestle with each other. They're on the ground, rolling around, play fighting or they start playing tag. 
every time. That's what they do. That's what children do. That's what they love. It's just part of their, especially boys, right? It's part of their, their it's part of their nature. And if you give them the opportunity to do it, then they're going to do it. And then, and you know, pretty much when they come into my facility, I just try to watch them and see what they like and, and, and what's natural to them. And, and we, we kind of go from there. So this is great today. Thanks guys. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much guys for being on. I, I, this is, um, I mean, I, you asked my wife, I like to talk, uh, but this is one of those podcasts where I was just completely thrilled just to be kind of almost a fly on the wall and just listen to you guys. And I, I hope this podcast just touches as many people as possible um, such an important issue on so many levels. So thanks guys again for your time. Appreciate, Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Peace. Have a good day, See guys. You guys. All right. Thanks for tuning in today. I uh, hope you really enjoyed that episode. I can't imagine that those of you who listen to that were at least, uh, whether you have kids or not, or you work with youth athletes or you don't, it's something that's really important. So uh, if you could take the time to share this with someone you think would be impactful for, please do. I would love for the message of these guys to be as spread as far as possible. Many of us know it already, but uh, just hearing it, hearing these guys get together and talk, I think is so valuable. So share it if you can. Uh, also, if you can give the podcast a rating or review, totally appreciate that. Please don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.